the HIT Podcast, HIT, Human Resources, Insurance, and Technology. I'm your host, Toby Kennedy. We are dropping into your feed every Tuesday with what we hope is a bite-sized, digestible, really interesting conversation surrounding the space of human resources. This week's episode is brought to you by Montage Insurance Solutions, and I am so excited, so let's just jump right into it. This week's hit is a a hit chat, a a, a chit chat. We are bringing in the man, the myth, the legend, the the guy that gets me out of the polos and into the suit, Mr. Paul Falcone. Thank you so much for joining us. No, my pleasure, Toby. Happy to be here. Oh, gosh, it's just it's so great to have you on. And, you know, the goal of our, our podcast here is to tell folks, hey, if you're in human resources, if you're in benefits, you know, we're asking for, I don't know, give or take 10 minutes a week. It's not too big of an ask. And what we want to bring to you are really relevant conversations. And so someone like you that has spent really honestly a career advancing the craft of human resources, understanding the craft of human resources, putting it, I don't want to overstate this, but on your shoulders and really kind of being an important figure, not only locally, nationally, internationally, in this specific space of the business segment, right? So in this specific space of the business segment, we have the need for a well-oiled strategic human resources department. And I, I, I just, I marvel at what you've done. So if you don't mind me making you, you brag on yourself a little bit on camera, just the, the high level, the beats, talk to me a little bit about you know, your, your career path. Yeah, no, very quickly. Um, I, my biggest thing that I'm known for is I, I was the CHRO of Nickelodeon. And so the SpongeBob guys were right down the hallway from me. It was a fun job. That was always, it was about a decade with that company, which was Viacom. It's now Paramount Global. I was also the head of Paramount uh, Human Resources for their international group. So I've done healthcare and biotech as well, as well as financial services. Um, I'm writing my 17th book right now. I write with HarperCollins Leadership and with the American Management Association. Teach at UCLA Extension in the School of Business and Management. I'm a columnist for Sherm. Up until about a year ago, Toby, I was full-time HR doing all of those fun things on the side. Now I've opened my, my own consulting firm as of last 4th of July. And I'm having a blast. I'm doing management training, executive coaching, and keynote speaking. So it's working out wonderfully. I, correct me if I'm wrong, so we don't have to edit this in post. It's uh, paulfalconehr.com. Is that right? paulfalconehr.com. You've got right. it. Nice and easy. Yeah, that's right. That's a, that's a, you know, that's a name is recognized. It's right next to the Nickelodeons and the Sherms and the Harper Collins is that you just, you know, when you give a high level of, of your bio and it includes some of those names, it, again, it just underscores to our audience uh, how thankful we are to have you here. So you mentioned, golly, your 17th book, uh, which is unbelievable. And I think that my favorite part about your books are the way that you structure them, right? So, you know, X amount of good interview questions or or expressions or, you know, some of the, the kind of things that as an HR practitioner, you, you probably need to know, but in the same way that we try to design our podcast to be bite-sized, I have found the content of your books to be very, very digestible and each one of them kind of stands on their own. Do you mind me asking you a little bit uh, to speak on sort of your writing style so that the listeners can know a little bit about what they might be getting into with a Paul Falcone book. Oh, I don't mind that at all. No. So here's the scoop, Toby. The, I've always written about the how. You know, people know what to do. They just don't know how to do it. And even if you have an MBA from a top 10 program in the whatever university, they don't teach leadership in the trenches. 
So my books are always like, you know, 101 tough conversations to have with employees or 2,600 phrases for effective performance reviews, 96 great interview questions to ask before you hire. I like to write books with numbers. Yeah, yeah. You, and, you know, the, round them up to get to a better, you're like 96. God, I wish I could come up with four. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I couldn't come up with four. I just couldn't make it. But no, but the, but the funny thing is, um, when you can help people say things, for example, with the Tough Conversations book, that don't put people down, that don't make employees feel like they're judged, that make it sound like you're their coach and their mentor rather than their disciplinarian, so to speak, people will listen. You just have to kind of give that sense of having their backs. And if you can kind of look at all these different scenarios, performance, conduct, attendance, termination, discipline, whatever you're doing that kind of can have a negative connotation to it, you can turn it into something constructive where the employees are really listening to you. Because the funny thing about like Gen Y and Gen Z, the 45 and the 25 and under crowds, we know everything about them. They are the most studied Totally. Generational cohorts in history. And the one thing they want in survey after survey after survey is career and professional development. Now, part of that means recognizing them for a job well done. But part of it also means helping them hone their craft, helping them learn their trade. And that means you've got to give them negative input. The biggest mistake managers make is they look the other way and they sweep things under the carpet. And that's what I try and get away from because I've seen it in every company where I've worked. If you can make it more palatable so the manager feels comfortable, They'll talk more and the employee will listen. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that one of my favorite kind of management quips is, is you got to have truth and grace, right? Obviously, you need to have some grace with people, but that doesn't leave out the truth part, right? You, you need to kind of be able to, to do both of those. So I wonder if you have any um, thing that comes to mind from a, a tips and tricks standpoint. If, if people do maybe shy away, like you said, from giving some of the, the negative input, but it's necessary, right? So maybe if you can speak to me a little bit about the necessity and maybe, uh, you know, you're the how guy. How? I like that. There's a, there's a um, bumper sticker in that one. Bumper sticker. That's right. No, so here's a scoop. One of the things, for example, in the tough conversations realm, I always talk about is using the word perception. Mm. Perception isn't right or wrong. It just is. It's kind of like feelings, right? They're not right or wrong. They just, it's how you feel. If you can talk to people about the fact that something may be missing awareness, that could be creating a perception problem. Mm. And I wanted to talk to you about that. You can easily segue that into the most important discussions about your career are made when you're not in the room. That's the same for you as it is for me and everyone else. Kind of a great so, thought. Oh my right? goodness. Pause I, I on wanna, that. Yeah, I want to kind of help you influence what's being said about you in that room yeah. someday. But we can fix it now. I can have your back if you'll allow me to. That's a great way to enter into a conversation with someone where they're not going to feel judged. They're not going to feel like, oops, I'm in trouble. And the manager doesn't have to feel so uncomfortable about, I've got to tell them bad news and I really don't want to do it. It's a nice way. It's an easy way that people can, you know, ease into those conversations and have real conversations. Boy, I, I have never heard anyone put that so succinctly, but yeah, the most important conversations about your career happen when you're not in the room. What, a, what an impactful thought if you really grapple with it. But what's interesting is that actually it, it dovetails in the question I was intending to ask, which is my perspective, and I, I don't have the same you know uh, uh, length of career as you admittedly, but I, I wonder your comment on the, this, this kind of idea surrounding you know main character syndrome or you know people that are just, they're the hero of their own story, right? Is that on the rise today? Is that different today for today's managers than it was 10, 20, 30 years ago, where folks, their, their ability to take negative feedback when again, you're just, you're just an extra in their movie, man. They're, they're the main character. 
to a degree, you're not wrong, Toby. I, I think there are kind of these generalities about, oh, the younger generation likes to take self photos and selfies. We didn't do that when we were younger. Well, we didn't have the cameras and we didn't have the internet. So that's one of the reasons that makes a difference. We probably would have done the same thing. But I wanna be careful. I, human beings are human beings. Yeah. And I think that the truth of the matter is what the younger generation wants is exactly what I wanted. I'm, a, I'm the end of the baby boom. I'm the youngest of the baby boom. Yeah. Um, but the same thing for the Gen X that followed the baby boom. You know what I mean? It's like, look, we're all human beings. We want to work for an organization that cares. We want to feel like our work is meaningful. And we want to feel like we're on a trajectory. We're making a difference. We're building our resumes. We're building our potential. That's basically the same. Now, there are different things that we see now. We talk more about work-life family balance, which remote work is helping us kind of get some traction around, which is good. We talk more today about corporate social responsibility and environmentalism, that probably wasn't on the radar screens of the earlier generations. Right. But these are all really noble things. And companies that are smart are going to look and say, what is it that Gen Y and Gen Z want? And how do we get there? How do we get them there? And some of the things, I, I joke about this, but it's as simple as putting a barrel in your um, break room so that people can drop off the glass bottles and the plastic bottles and the cans. Right. I mean, that does change the, the world's footprint. And if we know that the younger gens are looking for this idea of sustainability and environmentalism, that doesn't even cost you anything. But boy, what a great thing to do to let everyone know that their, their needs and their values are in alignment with yours as a business owner or senior manager or whatever you happen to be. I'm so glad you framed it that way, because to be honest with you, so I'll back up a little bit. I have a, uh, I have two kids. I have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. And my, my seven-year-old son loves bedtime stories. And, you know, I've got X amount of creativity in me, but at some point I sort of ran out of making up stories. And for whatever reason, I, I wound up with it on my heart to just turn to Aesop's fables. So just on a nightly basis, I would read a fable to him. And these are thousands of years old. And to your point earlier about humans being humans, the messages in these multi-thousand-year-old stories are still as germane today as they ever were. Because I think, like you said, fundamentally, it, it almost feels like an easy off-ramp to use that broad brush and just paint as, oh, today's people and, oh, they're different. It's like, not really, man. Like you said, you know, not really. No, and, and too many times you hear, oh, these, these young ones, they want the corner office by the time they're 29. Uh-huh. So did I. Yeah. So yeah. you know what I mean? So it's like, stop yeah. with all the generalities. The bottom line is what I've always said is when you think about your favorite boss, right? And I go through this exercise in my classes, my workshops, tell me about your favorite boss. And people start, they look up to the left and they're thinking, okay, my favorite boss is someone who always had my back, who always made my, my, made me feel like my, my, my opinion mattered. I made a difference, cared more about me and my professional development challenged me to do things I didn't even think I was ready to do myself, seemed to have more faith in me than I had in myself at the time. Mm -hmm. The argument to that is that's all about that person's beingness. It's not their doingness. Yeah. You are talking about that person's character. You're talking about that person's caring. Yeah. And as a society, we're always focused on doing, doing, doing. What are you doing to motivate your employees? I, I understand that. But really, when you think about how do you become someone's favorite boss and what does that mean? It's piercing their heart. Maya Angelou was the, uh, the poet who said people may not remember what you said and people may not remember what you did, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. Love that. And the funny thing is that's found its way in all of my books because yeah. this is easier than we're making it, Toby. I think yeah. a lot of people make management so hard and it really doesn't have to be. Yeah. If you can kind of keep in mind, your job is to help people be better. 
is to help them improve. It's theoretically, it's to help them replace you one day. If that's the way you can think about things, you make your life so much easier and you become the boss that everybody wants to work for. I mean, speaking of books, you know, how to win friends and influence people, it's like a hundred years old. You can still read it today and it makes a ton of sense. Right, it's the same, same old, same old. But the funny thing is what I find is when I'm reading these books, Look, I took a different path to get to where I am, right? Everyone takes a different path, but with the, the best-selling books tend to be the ones that come from the most wisdom, yeah. right? And that wisdom seems to be the same. People are saying that same message over and over again. And that's why the books are important, as are every other part of training. But the people who sit in the front row in my training workshops are the ones that always make me smile because that's me. I still do that to this day. The ones who come and sit in the back row, that's the person who thinks I've, I've been managing for 20 years. What I'm thinking is, no, you've been managing for one year. You just repeated it yes, 20 times. Yes, yes, yes. You've right? done it one year 20 times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so I think the reality becomes, you know, be open to this stuff. There's a lot here. We've lost the ability to sit around the campfire and pass wisdom down from the elders to the younger generation. We need to get better at that. And that's what staff meetings are. And that's what one-on-one -on -one professional development meetings are. It's helping people feel in tuned and engaged. And I want my people to get ahead, either at this company where I work right now or overall in their career, even if it means leaving our company. I'm lucky I've had very little turnover on my teams over my three decades in HR. But the ones where there was healthy turnover because they got a job that I couldn't give them, right. that's reason for celebration. That's a good thing. Everyone benefits from that. So just a different perspective on things a little bit, but a healthy one. And I think one that helps people align with their long-term goals are with the best needs of their employees. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't always love to drag sports into business, but when you look at some of the most prolific coaches, a lot of the times, some of their greatest successes, of course, their wins and losses, but their coaching tree, right? All the assistant coaches that they've had over the years that have turned into great head coaches elsewhere, right? Right. And John Wooden was my guy because I went to UCLA. He was a little before my time. But you're exactly right. The best coaches, in turn, make the best coaches themselves. And I always say leadership is not about the number of followers you have. It's about the number of leaders you create in turn. And if you can think of it that way, again, simple change to your foundational thought, your sponsoring thought about who you are and what you're doing. But I think that's where the wisdom is. And I think beingness, coming from a good, healthy place to help your employees get ahead, just makes your life that much easier. You don't have to be a unilateral disciplinarian and decision maker. Really, the idea is coaching. It's, it's, it's teasing the answers out of your own people and helping them find their way and get their own traction in their careers. That's what they'll always remember you for. You know, we're talking a little bit about um, campfire talks and tried and true wisdom. And I wonder your thoughts on, you know, I, I'm curious about people today's access to mentors, desire to have a mentor, that kind of literal go find a human being that's more seasoned than you and pick their brain. I just wonder your thoughts in general on, you know, the up and coming HR folks and, and honestly, um, you know, maybe even where to turn, if to turn. What are some of your thoughts on, on finding a mentor? Yeah, it's a great question. So I'm a certified executive coach. I've been doing coaching since I've launched my own consulting firm a year ago. But it's not exactly what I'm talking about. I understand that, you know, senior leaders, sometimes coaching can be the best thing in the world for them. But I'm talking about rank and file now. I'm talking about first-time managers or directors and vice presidents. And how do they get the most out of their people? The best coaching is internal coaching. Everyone who's responsible for managing other people is a coach 
to a certain level. So if you can get your co your, your, these frontline managers to think about things, I mean, the questions I ask people are, you know, would you want to work for you? Which is not that hard a question, but you'd be surprised how hard people have answering that question. Or a similar question, Toby, is if the whole company followed your lead, would you be happy with where you took it? Right, right. And they and they look at you and they're like, hmm. Well, I mean, sometimes, um, and right. I get it. It's a hard question to ask. But yeah. think about it from that sense of selfless leadership. Are yeah. you paying it forward? Are you helping people grow in their careers? Are you a good listener? Are you someone to kind of help them avail themselves of new opportunities? You won't know unless you ask. And everyone is so busy these days. I don't have time to do that. It's like, yeah, actually you do. Get rid of some of the other stuff. Be able to delegate a little bit more effectively, especially the stuff that you're good at. Delegate what you enjoy doing and use it as a teaching tool. You'll be surprised how things calm down in your world when you're strengthening your team to do these things. You just sleep better at night. Yeah, amen. You know, you, you asked a couple of hypotheticals in there, and one of them was, are you a good listener? And I, I, I want to pull that out because I think that that is such an underrated skill. And I'm curious your thoughts on listening, the art of listening, develop yourself as a listener. What are some of your thoughts on that? The answer to all of those questions is yes. <laughs> We're not good at it as a society. I always say you need to listen with your eyes and your heart in addition to your ears. And having done HR for three decades, I've done a lot of exit interviews and a lot of companies, and you will be surprised what people say on their way out the door. Man, you do a great job around here. Nobody says a word. Make one mistake and they're all over you. Yeah. And that all kind of falls under that same thing. You know, I talk to my boss, but my boss doesn't take the time. Or my boss doesn't follow up. My boss says she's going to do things. She actually doesn't do it. He said this, blah, blah, blah. It's a lot of noise. It's like, look, wait, when I'm in the room with one of my employees, I want them to know they're the only ones that I'm in that room with. I'm not looking at my phone and I'm not looking at anything else. But more important, if we're at a restaurant and, or we're in a meeting in, in an open room with other, I still want them to feel like they're getting undivided attention, that they're the only person in the room. And I'd be sure and follow up on whatever it was that we had talked about. Even if the answer is going to be no, they need to know that I looked into it, I explored it. The timing isn't right. Sorry, we can't do that now. But yeah. that will at least let them heal. It lets them bring it together. And it's like, okay, they can take that collective breath, that sigh of relief, like, okay, well, I can't do that, but at least I tried. Mm -hmm. But rather than, oh, I don't want to tell them bad news, it'll demotivate them so they don't follow up. That becomes a real problem. So you have to really hone that art. And the only, only thing I'd say on that side, Toby, is wait three seconds, or at least two seconds, for someone to finish their thought. Yeah. Other than that, you're going to constantly be interrupting people. And that's just no fun. I wonder if, first of all, do you, at 17 books later, who's the, your current bestseller still? I'd say the 101 tough conversations to have with employees. That seems to be the pain point out there. So that's where people tend to migrate. The other one, actually, the, the one that sells the most copies is the 2600 phrases for effective performance reviews. But that's a phrase book. It's not a book book. So I, yeah. I kind of defer to the 101 tough conversations. Yeah. I like when, when you have a, uh, 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 a library of books you've written uh, so deep that you can have a couple that that stand in as your, your top one. How about the most recent book? Talk to me about that. Well, there's last year um, when I launched my consulting firm, I came out with a new series and HarperCollins was nice enough to call it the Paul Falcone Workplace Leadership Series. And I was like, whoa, you're using my name in the title? I'm like, wow, that's great. <laughs> but that was a five book series and it tracks the talent management life cycle. So it starts with effective interviewing. And then there's a book, uh, interv Interviewing, Hiring, and Onboarding, 
Then it moves into the sports metaphors, what I call leadership offense and leadership defense. Yeah. The offensive piece is knowing how to grow, develop, motivate, and, you know, the defensive piece is knowing the, the accountability, the tough conversations, knowing how to do the documentation. The fourth book was a book specifically for new managers because they wanted something, you know, best of the best just for people who were moving into management for the first time. And the fifth book was on workplace ethics. It's called Mastering Ethical Leadership and Sustaining a Moral Workplace. So to me, that's really important. And I've taught the ethics course at UCLA for a number of years, and there's no book on it. So I said, I'm writing the book. But it's really yeah. about managerial ethics and employee relations is really what it's about. So those books made the most sense to me. And uh, I kind of, what, what's the term? I hung my my shingle on yeah. those books being released. So that was my entree into the consulting world. And I'm really um, So I, for our listeners that are, hopeful to continue to grow in the craft of HR. Someone like you that has studied, taught, understood, practiced. What is maybe um, one thought or something that you would want to impart if they go, hey, look, you know, this man has has pages and pages and, and a lot that I can unpack and God knows how many interviews. But if I can sort of just get the, you know, not to make this a TikTok type of a thing, but what, what, what is something that, you know, in all of your years of wisdom, you'd want to say to an up-and-coming HR practitioner? So the funny thing, Toby, is, and this is going to sound like a wah-wah, but the bottom line is just be cool, just be nice, just be yourself. Yeah. People who are moving into management, all of these assumptions jump in. Oh, I have to be this and I have to be that. And it's like, no, just be yourself. Where I've been lucky in my careers, I worked for really good companies, and I always made people feel like I had their backs. It was that simple. When you wanted time with me, I was there. When we closed the door, you were the only person on the planet to me. And I really do care about people. And most people who go into HR do it for that very reason. Yet all of these things start swimming in their heads. I had an employee not too long ago who I would say, why aren't you recognizing your people more? And the person said, well, I can't. And I said, well, why not? It doesn't go straight to his head. If I tell him that, he's going to want more money. And I said, really, is that the narrative you've told yourself? So if I called you out in front of the whole team and said, you did a fabulous job, we're so proud of you, tell us how you did it, the first thing you'd be thinking is 10%. And he said, well, no, Paul, I wouldn't be thinking 10% more money, but other people might. And I said, really, you're the average bear. How would you respond? And there's no reason for you to think that others aren't going to respond the same way that you would. So don't tell yourself all these tales about, I can't recognize people because they're going to want more money. It's going to go straight to their head. That's not true. Recognition is, it's the psychic income. It's what gets people up in the morning. I love my job because I feel like I make a difference and I'm recognized for what I do. Don't let people go through the comma living. And what I mean by that Toby is, I don't want the administrative assistant who says I do com, I do phones, comma, filing, comma, correspondence, yep. comma. I don't care about that. That's your job description for Pete's sake. Yep. I want to know why is it a better organization for your having worked here? And if you're at a higher level, what did you do to increase revenues, decrease expenses, save time, quantify it? I'll help you quantify it. But think in terms of achievements and bullets on your resume, bullets on your LinkedIn profile. Once you start thinking that way, you get away from the commas and you, you can cut through all the fog because you start this sense of knowing I need to get X because I want this level of achievement as opposed to saying I'm overwhelmed by all these different commas that we have to do every day. So oh, it's a perspective. Your answer, this is going to be a want want and then you give uh, fantastic and sage advice, but I do appreciate that what you're saying, it's basically built on, it's like 
if you talk to any honest fitness person, right, and you're looking for the hack, they're just going to look at you, clap you on the shoulder, diet and exercise, man. It, like, it doesn't necessarily need to be some crazy, you've never heard it, sexy answer. A lot of times it right. is just the the practical stuff and then unpacked and, and done right. Um, yeah, people yeah. are people. And you know what? Everyone hires in their own image. And I think, hey, listen, we're all different, but we want people we can get along with. And one of the, just as a quick aside, just a quick example. So I coach Navy SEALs through what's called the Honor Foundation. When they transition into the private sector, they get a coach assigned to them. So I work with that group. And a lot of times, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. I'm like, you guys, uh, 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 you're not in the military anymore. Don't respond that way. You're going to make people in the private sector who may have never been in the military start to feel uncomfortable. And they're like, yeah, but Paul, that's the way we're trained to talk. And I'm no, I I know, but you need to undo that a little bit. You want to get a little more comfortable in your own skin. Well, it's the same for people, even outside of the military, make sure that people feel like they can relate to you. You've got good eye contact. When they ask you a question, sit up in your seat, you know, hear them through, don't interrupt them and try and answer that question as best you can. That's what interviewing is all about, but it's also how you build relationships with your clients internally. Be that resource, make them say, Paul Falcone's the best HR guy I've ever had in my life. Not because I'm some genius, but because I care. It's character and caring. Those are the two words. That's what makes someone your favorite boss. That's what make you stand, makes you stand out among your peers. That's how they remember you 20 years later. Because you cared and you had the right kind of character. So Care- it's not a wah-wah. I didn't mean to say wah-wah, but you know what I mean. Tony. I do. There's shattering news. Yeah, yeah. But but that's yeah. that's how you know someone's telling you the truth, right? When they've got some secret elixir that no one's ever heard of, you're selling snake oil, man. Like <laughs> yeah, I'm just right. I'm so grateful yeah. to bring this back to some fundamental principles and have someone like you say, listen, I'm not speaking in theory. I'm telling you, I've done this day in and day out, decade in and decade out. And I've been able to distill what works and what doesn't. And I think caring and character is such a great uh, kind of parting thought. So really appreciate you putting a good and practical, succinct uh, bow on, on our conversation today. Well, you're very welcome. It is my pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. And again, paulfalconehr.com is a way for folks to get a hold of you. I know personally how responsive you are and how active you are on LinkedIn and just what a, you know, again, I don't mean to overstate it, but what a godsend you are to to the HR community and just someone that's given a career to not only understanding, but also educating. And I just uh, full-throated thank you for being on, Paul. So nice of you to say, Toby. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Awesome. So thank you guys uh, for listening. That's all the time we have for this week's episode. Until next week, make this the best week yet.